In theology, there is often perceived to be a tension between faith and works. In modern America, on the one hand, you have various types of conservative evangelicals and fundamentalists, heirs of the Reformation, who say, by faith and not by works is one saved. On the other hand, you often have many of the more liberal Protestant denominations, the mainliners, Episcopalians, Lutherans, and Presbyterians, sadly some Catholics, who often say, at least implicitly, that faith is a secondary or optional quality. What matters, they argue, is how generous or charitable a person is in working to alleviate the sufferings of others, the social gospel. These social gospel Christians are often very attracted to this very passage in Matthew that we just read. Because what some do in interpreting this passage is to assume that the verbal assent given to the father's request, or not given, by the two sons represents having faith or not having faith. In other words, believing in or professing the tenets of Christianity. By contrast, the actual doing of what the Father commanded is seen as the work of charity. In other words, love and care for one's neighbors. Of course, Jesus affirms that the son who actually worked in the vineyard did the will of the Father. Thus, some social gospel Christians conclude, this shows that Jesus cares more about compassion than about faith. Does he really care whether we have or express any faith? In a lot of ways, this idea resonates in our culture. In movies, you will often see a character who doesn't mouth the heroic platitudes. But in the end, he does what should be done because he is, at heart, a really good guy. Think of Han Solo in Star Wars, or Wesley in The Princess Bride, or Walt Kowalski in Gran Torino. Perhaps we like these characters especially because they are not mushy. They don't just fall in line with the crowd. They're a variation on the strong, silent type. Their actions speak louder than their words. But I think we misunderstand this parable of the two sons if we see it as setting up a dichotomy between faith and works. As Catholics, we don't go for dichotomies so much. We're both and rather than either or types of people. And this is especially important in understanding the relationship between faith and works. First, we have to understand what faith is. Many people misunderstand. Our Holy Father Emeritus, Pope Benedict, wrote an encyclical on the virtue of faith, Spe Salve, Saved in Hope. He gives a wonderful interpretation of Hebrews 11.1 that improves upon the translation that many people are familiar with, which is, faith is the realization of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Pope Benedict notes that the term that is rendered in our translation here as realization is hypostasis, which is more accurately translated as substance. So, Faith is the substance of what is hoped for and evidence of things not seen. It means that faith is something that is present in us. Faith, then, is not just our intellect reaching out, hoping to convince ourselves to believe something that we want to believe. No, it is actually a gift given to us 
by God. It is a stable disposition of the spirit through which eternal life takes root in us and reason is led to consent to what it does not see. Pope Benedict talks about how this concept was classically present in the rite of baptism for an infant. The parents are asked, what do you ask of the church? In the current rite, the answer that is usually given is baptism. But in the older rite, and it is an option in the current rite, the answer is faith. Faith does not come about simply when the child is older and is capable of understanding ideas. That's a Protestant misunderstanding that ironically turns faith into a kind of work, something that one generates in order to get in good with God. Instead, faith itself is given by the act of baptism, a grace through which God gives us even now something of the reality that we are waiting for. And this present reality constitutes for us proof of the things that are still unseen. But of course, we are not meant to be passive in this endeavor. We must approach the means of grace that God has provided for us in the sacraments. That begins in baptism, but it must continue through the frequent reception of penance and Holy Communion. These sacraments are constantly calling us to receive a deeper and greater faith. And this faith is not inert, because faith is the beginning of hope and love. You've heard it before. Faith, hope, and love, the three theological virtues. Listen to Pope Benedict again. Faith draws the future into the present, and thus the things of the future spill over into those of the present, and those of the present into the future. It is faith that gives us hope, and this hope that gives us the power to act in love right now. Or we could say that faith is what God gives to us, and hope is our understanding of that gift, and love is our means of returning that gift to God. That is why St. Paul can say, faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Not because love can exist without faith or hope, but because love is the completion of the cycle. Exitus reditus, the going out of grace from God to us as faith and the return of that faith by us to God as good works or love. It is why St. James says, so also faith of itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Indeed, someone might say, you have faith and I have works, but then... Demonstrate your faith to me without works, and I will demonstrate my faith to you from my works. Now let's go back to the two sons in the vineyard. We can see that saying yes or no to the father is not meant to be separated from the fact of doing or not doing the work in the order of understanding in the cycle of faith, hope, and love. We have no reason to think, for example, that the first son who verbally refused the father did so because he lacked faith in him, or that he later decided to go work in the vineyard because he wanted to accomplish some great moral act apart from the father. The son didn't say to himself, I don't care what the old man says, but I guess society would benefit if I went and harvested some grapes. Instead, he was drawn to repent, which is itself the gift of faith.
Because God is always reaching out for us, even when we sin, especially because we sin. So because of that, the son was moved to complete the task that was assigned to him. His work is accorded the status of love because it was a response, however belated, to the invitation that was extended by the father. We would see the same reality in the gospel reading today if we backed up and read the part just before we started. Right before the parable of the two sons, Jesus was talking to the chief priests, and he asked them a question about John the Baptist. But the chief priests were unwilling to answer Jesus' question because they realized that whichever way they answered, they were intellectually cornered. And so Jesus condemned them for their lawyerly, we-don't-know type of answer. But then Jesus immediately went into the parable of the two sons, giving the chief priest the opportunity to hear his message again in a different way. They frustrated his first approach with their obstinacy, but Jesus reaches out again and tries to teach them with a different parable. Let me say it again. God is always reaching out for us, even when we sin, even when we sin especially because we sin. So our understanding of the parable of the two sons is not that one had faith and one had works. Rather, we saw two imperfect sons. The son who said yes but didn't follow through stalled on the cycle of faith. So, as St. James tells us, the gift of faith that he received died with him. By contrast, the son who said no but later repented completed the cycle of faith, hope, and love. His completing of the task was his love given back to the Father. Every call we receive from the Lord is a prompting of faith. And every response of ours to that love is our gift of love to the Father, in gratitude for that faith. Because we are Christian, because of our Catholic faith, we do not separate faith and works, knowing and doing, love of God and love of neighbor. If we doubt that, we have the words of our Savior to make it even more simple. That which you do for the least among you, you do for me. When we pray, when we read the Bible, when we serve, when we attend Mass, when we feed the hungry, when we comfort the sick, when we visit the lonely, we are engaging faith, hope, and love as one seamless garment, because they are. We are not of two minds, one for faith and one for works. Nor are we two churches or two types of Christians, one for worship and one for social justice. We ought to be, in everything we do, living out the words of St. Paul. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Each of us will individually grapple with the call of faith and the response of love in our lives. Each of us will be called differently, and each of us will have different gifts to give in response. Different gifts, but the same spirit. Because this is what it means to be the church. One body with many parts, professing one faith, united in hope, and professing the same love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.